Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I am so pleased to bring to you today two of your favorite guests who are repeat offenders and fan favorites to Love and Life. We've got Lise Wilcock, who showed up way back when I was first doing the podcast. Lise and I connected on Instagram and saw a lot of alignment in our values and the way that we approach the work that we do. I was so pleased that she shared with you and the community a while back. Then Elliot started coming on the program and right away you resonated with his work. And in particular, we started with subconscious beliefs that might be impacting our relationships and our approach to dating. Then we talked about the mother wound and the father wound. And those were particularly poignant episodes that we got a lot of feedback about. And Lise also had some thoughts about those episodes and she shared them with her community, which I'm so grateful, Lise, for you always supporting and sharing what we're doing over here on Love and Life. And then the topic of another woundedness came up. And I really don't remember how the three of us, we've done lives together. We all communicate outside of the podcast, but somehow it came up the, the notion of the divorce wound. And as you know, Elliot's worked extensively for 30 years with couples certainly has guided some couples away from divorce, but has also walked through divorce with some couples. Lise has shared with us as a community that she has gone through divorce. And so we thought, let's let's devote some time to this woundedness and of course, speak to how profound it is and also the redemption and the restoration that is available to those who've been through a divorce wound. Elliot and Lise, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to be here and be a part of this triad of power. <laughs> <laughs> I see my part in this triad as more facilitator today. So whoever wants to jump in with a beginning thought, have at it. Well, at least if you allow me to, since I jumped in quicker anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I want to start with a variable or a difference between the primal wound, which is so significant and we've spent so many hours together talking through that of a father wound or a mother wound or a caregiver wound, if it wasn't a father, or mother, a grandparent, even a coach or director, someone who abused you when you're a child, and a divorce wound. And so some of the context of that is, first of all, the primal wound is something that happens to us and we have no control. We didn't choose our parents. We don't have conditional opportunities, young children, very often to alleviate some of those woundedness. That primal wound is essentially saying the primary caregivers in our life should cherish us, embrace us, love us, empower us, protect us, inspire us. I know I'm setting a high standard, but that's biblical standards for what parenting is about. And when that doesn't happen, especially when it happens in the opposite way, when we're neglected, abused, toxically harmed and shamed and diminished, that creates this primal wound. And that wound becomes a foundational core in our psyche and kind of lives through us in a very subconscious manner and once we actually bring that to our conscious level, that's when we can start to heal and move forward and recognize patterns and relationships. This divorce wound is so different because this is a conscious wound that happens when we're adults. Not many people have arranged marriages. So most of the listening audience on both continents here today, or both countries, sorry, here today, <laughs> chose their partner in some capacity. And so when that partner then 
neglects, abuses, shames, diminishes, is unfaithful, and ultimately chooses to leave us, it's a much different wounding. They're both super powerful. I would call the divorce wound even more powerful in the present, in the conscious mind, that disconnection we feel, a a death, a, a death and loss of that bond, which is so substantial because we didn't have it, then we had it, and now we're gone. We're in the primal wound. We might have never had it. And we couldn't choose to make something different. We can't force our parents to love us better, our caregivers. So I just thought that's a very important foundational piece for us to think about as we start to move forward in dialogue. Who is crying so far? (laughs) (laughs) When you frame it like that, I just feel like it invites tears to the surface. And I would add to that, certainly from my own personal experience and also from definitely my watching my clients experience go through this that the divorce wound can also then trigger the primal wound. And then mm. you get this big like soup of grief yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's really uncomfortable. And, you know, I feel like a, an important part of this conversation today is to really normalize those feelings that you experience while in that wounding process, because divorce tends to wrap itself in a blanket of shame and, People feel like they can't openly talk about it. They can't openly express how deep it cuts. And it cuts so deep that when we add shame on top of that, it is like it's a it's a perfect storm for for serious loss and grief and emotional unrest. And I want to jump in just here because, Lise, for anyone who doesn't know your story of divorce, you initiated the divorce. So this wound is profound, even if you're the one who's making the decision that this marriage cannot remain intact. Yes. And I always say that I called time of death on the marriage because I I think anybody who's going through probably any breakup, but I would argue particularly in a marriage, you don't just wake up one morning and it's over. It's been this, this slow burning process that people have been witnessing. And eventually it takes one person to really call it. And it is a terrible position to find yourself in, to be the one who has to somehow like find the courage to call it what it is and really declare that it's over and probably has been over for a while. And even that empowerment to recognize least like you did that the time of death on the marriage was necessary yeah. for growth and healing doesn't stop the profound pain that can last really for the rest of our lives, even if we're healed. Yeah. And I think that shame piece is so important because again, the shame that we feel from primal wounds that is so real, especially if we were shame-based parented our entire life, is again, contextually able to be separated a little bit because we can kind of blame or look at the family of origin process or systemic and say, well, that's just the culture I was raised in and now I've learned to grow up and and move forward and heal and grow even though I know it it touches me. But like you said, Lise, when the divorce wound will trigger the primal wound, then we're actually kind of re-grieving or maybe grieving for the first time both Mm -hmm. wounds and it's so common for me. This sounds so strange, probably, but I know you'll get at least in particular. Women will come into my office saying they want to have counseling about their divorce that's getting ready to happen or has had happened. And the first thing they say to me is, I'm sorry, or apologizing for the divorce. Yes. As if it's something that they chose to happen and they're taking up my time. And it's just such an interesting perspective and framework, mostly from the women. The men tend to come in and they're meeting blaming. Yes. Blaming themselves sometimes or blaming the wife or blaming context or I was just working too late. I was gone from the office or this office manager was too seductive. You know, they'll blame something Mm -hmm. where the men tend to take external 
views, the women tend to take the internal and that shame piece. Somehow they should have healed it, yeah. solved it, fixed it, loved better, sexed better, whatever they yes. think it could have done to make it happen. And uh, that makes me sad too. Well, likewise, and I feel like this is a this is a gross generalization, but I really believe if you are a woman who is divorced, any way you slice it, the perception will be that it was your fault. Mm. Either you did something wrong and you broke up your family by ending the marriage, or you were doing something wrong to cause him to leave you in the marriage. And I really believe that from again, my own personal experience, but watching several clients go through it as well, is that if you are the woman, somehow society at large is is going to find a way to pin it on you. And it's extra painful. Yeah. I was hoping that was just American values. I hope I didn't hope that was Canadian as well. No, I definitely, it's alive and well. No, that's so sad. It is so true. It is true. Systemically, we've gained a ton in female empowerment on multiple areas, but that is so true. I see it in the counseling pastoral realm every day. Don't you think it has to do with how women are still valued by virtue of their relationship status, whereas men are essentially valued Mm -hmm. by societal eyes for their status, their career, their earning potential and Mm -hmm. power. But women, because we're valued, who are you partnered with? Who did you create? Mm -hmm. Who are you mother to? Therefore, when a breakdown happens in a relationship Mm -hmm. realm, it must be the woman's fault because that's her domain. Yeah. And there, and there's such a culture of not enoughness. Like you can't be thin enough. You can't be pretty enough. You can't be nurturing enough. Like, and I don't, I'm not even saying this is a conscious pattern. It's so underlying and it's so prevalent that I think that the notion is like, Oh, like you couldn't just find a way of making it work. Even, even that language, like, Oh, you couldn't make it work. You just didn't try hard enough. It's so damaging. And I really think it fuels that like you're, you're still not enough. (laughs) And it still pokes, I think, at the notion that a majority of society wants marriage and family to work. Yes. And so there's that secondary response of, oh, your best friend feels you really should have done something else. Yes. You know, they'll often say, have you tried counseling? Yes. You know, as an automatic kickback statement, and I'm not against that as a counselor, but (laughs) at the same time, it's not like a counselor. My job is not to fix their marriage. Mm -hmm. Often my job is to help them understand when, like you did, Lise, maybe divorce is the mm-hmm. right option. And people think I'm hypocritical as a pastor and therapist to do that. And I completely disagree. And we can have a separate show and argument about that sometime <laughs> if we want. Not argument with you, Lise, argument with, <laughs> with listeners. But you know, sometimes it's walking them through the appropriate choice. And I work with many abused women mm-hmm. who making the right choice to leave is just as painful as the wrong choice happening to them that causes the divorce. I had, when I was going through my own, like very, very early stages of my own divorce, (laughs) the woman who used to own the house that I lived in stopped by one afternoon because I live in a small town. She had heard through the grapevine that we were splitting up and she stopped by. I had three young children at home with me, knocked on the door, gave me a meatloaf, and then gave me the unsolicited advice that maybe I just took on too much and that's why it didn't work out. <laughs> maybe if I just wow. cleared a few things off my plate, then I would have had the, the right energy to really properly invest in the marriage. How'd the meatloaf taste? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which I choked on more. And you know, for, for full context and I'm going to drop a bomb here. I, I know I've said this on my podcast and certainly in one of my books, I actually think Karen, I've said it on your podcast before 
but I am somebody who went through the process of having cancer and then also through the process of going through divorce and going through cancer was a cakewalk when you compare it to the process of going through divorce. The trauma of a marriage ending grossly surpassed <laughs> cancer. Yeah, and I think one of those reasons, Lise, is it's a death. It's a true oh. death. You got you took Karen, you took Karen down now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now who's crying? Yeah, now I, I couldn't I, I couldn't look at her. I lost my train of thought. I tried to look away <laughs> if he saw me. Yeah. Then he would feel empathic toward me because yeah. I yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the ca- divorce is a death. That's part of what I use in counseling metaphor language, but even physiological language, because yes. that that sexual, physical, emotional, mental bond has been severed. Yes. And often severed without our desire to have it severed. And so it is truly a death where cancer, there was some element and please not, I hope I'm not minimalizing any of the Mm -hmm. challenge there, but there's some element you're fighting for life. Yes. And divorce, you're responding to death. Yeah. And people, they want to rally for cancer, right? They want, they Mm want to rally for when you're going through physical pain, they want to rally for you and they want to really support you when you're going through mental or emotional crisis people run. And I feel like in divorce in particular, they feel like they have to choose sides, right? And cancer, it's not like, oh, I'm on team health or team sickness. It doesn't work like that. In divorce, it's like, oh, naturally we got to split up camps here. So who are we going to pick? So it becomes this really isolating experience. And again, going back to these like patriarchal undercurrents, my experience and my observations have been like, oh, that poor guy, how can we support him? Let's, let's bring over dinner. Let's make sure he has everything he needs. And in the meantime, and in the meantime, you know, the woman is like at home with the children, figuring out how to reinvent her life. And, you know, mm-hmm. the man is out being taken care of by a social group and a community. And in the meantime, the entire social group and community for the supportive community for the woman has like disintegrated. <laughs> You touched on another element there as well. It's the children because it's not only death to the marriage, it's death to the family. Yes. And yes, you can reinvent a new family, of course, and you've done a marvelous job of that. But the holistic ideal of what the marriage and family is supposed to be, that dies also. Yes. And then to help your children through that. And when they're young, you can't even talk to them about the depth of that yet. And yet, you know, they're going to go through the primal wounds now yes. that are partially created because of the divorce wound. Yeah. And that's profound and lasts all the way through their childhood until they're out of the house. And that makes that death wound repetitive and recapitulates over and over and over again. And I don't know why I think this is such an important conversation to have is that, you know, we've said it before that when you look at the statistics in Canada, the U S we're very close to being able to say most marriages end in divorce. Like, like we're what 4% off 5% off from declaring it a majority that first marriages end in divorce. So why this is so significant from where I stand is that, you know, it's this concept of normalizing it. It's not, oh, a couple of people are going to go through this experience. No, almost half of the people who get married are going to go through this experience. Yep. In the faith context there as well, Lise, you you may or may not know these statistics, but the Christian marriages, which of course I have a huge investment in. Yes only has a slightly better percentage. It's not a wow. whole lot higher than societal norms. And that throws another whole level of spiritual shame. And yes. maybe Karen, and we can do another episode with the spiritual wound uh, com- mm, from all yeah. d- kinds of different angles, but that's a whole other element uh, that 
is significant and everyone has their own faith journey, regardless if they call themselves a Christian or not. Mm -hmm. And the spiritual wound of that loss of the marriage and the divorce uh, is exponentially difficult, Mm -hmm. but we can heal and we can grow. So (laughs) I want to make sure we don't stay too deep in the pain. Uh, Karen, if you want to move us towards some. I'm a big context fan. I think it's really important to declare, (laughs) declare the terms of context to really make sure people understand the full landscape of what's happening. I find like as somebody who's now dating, when I am talking to a divorced man, you almost don't even need to go into it. It's just that, oh, you're divorced. And it's like that nod that like, ah, yeah, got it. I think we should linger here and make sure that we're giving it its due. That's the whole point is to honor, recognize, and normalize, as Lee said. And I want to say the word again, honor the wound. Because too often... At least, and again, I don't know what we're talking about, these Canadian versus uh, American things. Like down here, I don't know what it's like up there, but down here, I think we get two days off for bereavement if you've lost a loved one through death. We have no bereavement for divorce. You're just supposed to show up to work on Monday and act as if everything's fine. My point is, and I understand the business has to run, so I'm not taking issue with business owners who don't give people bereavement time for their divorce. My point is we don't really have spaces, I think in general for this kind of conversation for people to go, okay, can I listen to people who really get it, who really honor Mm -hmm. it, who respect that it is in fact a death. It's Mm -hmm. the, the grief, the, the pain is as significant as losing someone from the face of the planet. Because again, the dream of this family, the reality of the hopes that we had built in now, like you said, as a mother, I got to think about my girls, like what's going to happen to them. And then wait, I was part of now this woundedness that I passed on to them. I didn't want to pass that on to them. And then there's just life's reality. So I didn't want to move us forward yet unless you guys are ready to go there. I guess my point is if we need to stay here for a few more minutes, I'm here for it. Well, I was going to say too, that the, um, thank you. And the, the loss and the grieving, I think, is so interesting because when there is, and I, this is risky territory, and I'm holding a lot of compassionate space as I say these words, so I hope they're well received. But when you have, when you experience a physical death, the death is the closure. It doesn't mean it's easy by any means, and I'm not, I'm not minimizing the grief and the pain. And when there is a physical death, that relationship is clearly over because that person is no longer physically here. Then when what your experience of them ethereally is a different story. When you go through the, the death of a marriage and you not only lose the life you have or had, the life you thought you were going to have, you are now almost completely severed from the past you shared together all of that dies. Your family structure and system is so radically shaken up. It feels like a death. And still that ex-partner is alive and well. Your former in-laws are alive and well. Your former peer group is alive and well. So now you're dealing with this, I always call it like this zombie state. It's like, it's undead. You know, we're not in the marriage anymore, but we still have a relationship. And all those relationships still exist. They're just the zombie versions of of their former selves. (laughs) Yeah. And there's the duplicity. Mm -hmm. So you you actually almost become split in your psyche a little bit about your life with the ex and that whole component and your life with your children or your new environment or your new partner. It it really is a splitting of the soul there a little bit, which again fits the spiritual uh, understanding and teaching about divorce and that death and mourning 
and separation, that it's not intended and it's not helpful for anybody, even when it's the necessary choice. That's what I think just seldom gets talked about. Like, I don't think it ever gets any attention. You know, I, I said to you both via, via DM a little while ago that Adele gets divorced and all of a sudden the entire planet is talking about like, oh, what is this thing called the end of a marriage? When, when <laughs> oh, what's his name? Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin. Chris Martin? The, yeah, Paltrow? conscious uncoupling, right? Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden it's like, oh, tell me more. We've never heard anything about this. And it's like, oh my gosh. Again, we had to normalize this process of death, of bereavement, of grief. It is, it's such a life tragedy and it happens for so many people. But then I, I really believe that very few people have a safe and comfortable space to really talk about it and to embody what, what that process is like. Elliot, I want to ask you, there's, there's that notion that when you break up, there's like a formula, right? That <laughs> however long you were together, you split that time in half and add mm-hmm. a month. And that's how long it takes you to quote unquote, get over the relationship. Have you guys heard of that before? I think Charlotte said that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I disregard that. Because um, okay. I was going to say in your experience, you know, again, for, for fully framed context, What's the length of time for people to kind of recalibrate from divorce? Yeah, I I think it often depends on so many factors and variables, but some simple ones are, have they truly grieved the death of the current divorce? Mm. And so they might say, I'm over it, but if there's been no denial, no depression, no anger, you know, no resolution, all the things we know to be true in the stages of grief Mm -hmm. and no acceptance, or if the acceptance is still profoundly angry Mm-hmm. without peace, then I don't care if you're in that stage for five years and you were married for two, Yeah, you're going to carry that divorce wound right into that next partner. And we know the divorce rates grow per marriage. Yes. So it can't be simply bad luck. <laughs> so I think if I see healing and hear healing and there's empowerment of the acceptance and the movement then I'm, I'm more willing as a pastor or therapist to bless their movements back into the dating world. But again, to be cautious and slow and careful and talk about all the things we talked about on other podcasts before mm-hmm. about your family systemic and, and patterns. Because often someone will tell me, well, I divorced this guy, but you know what? The two boyfriends before I married this guy were very similar. Yeah. And so looking for that kind of recognition. But I don't mind those kind of formulas, least, And sometimes they're a good point just to give us a frame of reference but I've seen people ready in six months and I've seen people not ready in six years. Wow. Can I just say as someone who has not ever experienced divorce, obviously, but dated a bunch of people, uh-huh. my formula least was if we dated two years, it will take me four years to get over you. <laughs> okay. So however long we were together, twice as long for me to get over you. Cause when I love, I love hard and I don't recover. I don't bounce back that quickly. You have the Taylor Swift slash Lee Wilcox <laughs> approach to dating and relationships. <laughs> I don't recommend it, not prescribing it, but that, yeah, it is what it is. So for some people, Lise, a time frame structured thought approach can help move the grieving healing. Mm -hmm. For others, it just brings more shame and more forced energy that makes it worse for them. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of knowing yourself, knowing how you move through other processes and things in life. But again, just the pure understanding of the spiritual bond involved in sexual relationship and that union that Genesis talks about and what it's about, that cement together, just that severance alone can Mm -hmm. take years. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen, Lise, 
a super fast healing from a divorce in my 30 years. I'm trying to go through my Rolodex of clients here quickly. <laughs> yeah. I've seen maybe a year and a half to two years for early loss of marriage, like, you know, a year and a half in or two years. But I, any of the ones that are profoundly 10, 12, 15, 20 years, that, as Karen said, you don't have to be a deep lover to not bounce back quickly from those. And I mean, let's just hold space for that for a minute. Because I, again, I think there's that tendency of like, okay, it's over and move on. And I, I think part of the shame piece where people become very reluctant to talk about their experience in divorce is that the reception of that information is like, oh, you're still not over this. Like it's been three years. Can you not move past this? And so then you keep it to yourself, right? Like, oh, I, I really should hold this in or people don't, people are afraid you're going to have like a, a cathartic experience <laughs> if you bring up, if you bring up a past relationship. And the environmental triggers lease, right? Yes. The if your ex lives anywhere near you and all the memories, all the traditions, all the holidays, every birthday, you have children, now you got to split the birthdays, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You can't get away from the wound. Yeah. So it is different than the closure we can get. You know, our father's been gone five years. We all get a little more sad in our family around Christmas time, just remembering yes. all the connections, but it still has a completion. Mm-hmm. It's not like our dad is off somewhere else, married to another woman, and is, as he's 90 now, he would be. <laughs> yeah. It's not like we have to go through that process, but in a divorce, you often do, and sometimes it's right in your backyard yeah, or in your same church or in your yeah. same community. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're co-parenting. Yes. Yeah, it has to be yeah, in some regards, right. yeah. yeah. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. So another element of this conversation that comes to mind, and Elliot, you mentioned that some of our listeners have reached out to you to talk about the experience that I know all too well of being a single woman on the dating scene. And you're now in your 40s. And let's be honest, a lot of the individuals you're going to interact with and potentially date will be men who have been divorced. And what does that look like? And how does that feel as a woman? I know for me, I clearly didn't want to be like plan B, <laughs> like mm-hmm. like the consolation prize. <laughs> so that was a very real dynamic that as I was dating Dan, I had to explore, am I going to feel like the second best option because the because mar- no one enters a marriage going, I hope this tanks in 20 years and then I'll meet my true love. No. And he has three kids and they were they are meant to be here and they're a gift from God. This is no accident. At the same time as someone who hadn't been married before, I didn't want to be like, well, I guess you'll do since. <laughs> so there were things I was looking for to assure me that, that yes, the, the marriage wasn't meant to be. So it was done and that he had healed enough to move on the things that we were speaking to here. Yeah. Coming from that single woman's perspective, Elliot, what have you heard from some of the listeners about that? Well, I think some of the ladies that are in their thirties and forties in particular find themselves drawn more to the divorced man than to a single man. For sure. And that makes total sense to me because they're at a stage of life where that desire for, I'm sorry to use old fashioned terms, the desire for the nesting and familia is so strong. It's almost as strong as the desire for the romantic one-on-one relationship. 
And so if you're a single woman and you're pursuing or being pursued or finding the relationship pursued with a divorced man, recognizing certain things that are going to be automatically a part of that process, he will at times be wrestling back and forth with that commitment, that trust, that vulnerability. Many men don't fully grieve their divorces, even if they chose it. And so there's oftentimes it's going to be projected onto you or they'll be come, 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 get away, get away, get away, come, 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 get away. And then the whole context of the family and the children and and many men, parenting is not always easy for them in the full emotional, mental engagement. And if they're doing the best they can, and all of a sudden, even if they love this new woman, if they feel there's competition, they'll often choose the children just like, well, I can't possibly go out with you this night because I have to do this with my kids and and segregate the the movement of the relationship. And that's a whole nother variable about how old the kids are and when do you bring a new person in. So that's the first thing that comes to mind, Karen, in that context. Yeah. And I think you're right to point that out, Elliot, that sometimes men, by virtue of the way that their brains are wired, they compartmentalize a bit. And research shows women are better at multitasking. And it could be the corpus callosum we've talked about, that there's connection between the hemispheres. But men compartmentalize. So it may be hard for a man to go, I can fully fall in love with this new woman, still being fully in love with my children. Like I don't have to see that there's a finite amount of love that I have. And so to pit the woman against the kids, unintentionally, of course, I try to remind women that when he does that, try to reframe that as the capacity of his ability to love and that he deeply cares about his kids and doesn't want his kids to feel abandoned. But let's be honest, if you're going to step into the stepmother role, there's going to be a lot of you having to just be like, I just got to accept that that's the way it is. Although I would caution women, if you do feel that you're second fiddle, that's not a good model for your potentially future husband to show his kids. They've already seen one marriage that didn't work out. Now they need to see their father love the woman he chose to be his wife. They need to see that strength in that marriage, even if it makes them like children will, they will push up against that. Sometimes they'll try to manipulate that sometimes potentially, but they need to see that solid foundation that they didn't see in the first marriage. And if he has a bunch of shame or guilt because he had not parented well, and that caused part of the divorce, then he's going to over err on the side of now almost even being enmeshed with his children and allowing like a 12 year old son or daughter to make decisions about his new relationship, which is really unhealthy and dangerous for the children as well. So I coach the men often on thinking about the new woman in their life, especially if they feel very strongly and happy about it and seems like it's a really good thing for them on both sides of the equation, is to think of them as separate and equal to their children, at least in the initial stages, so they can understand it's okay to pursue appropriately and and work through some dynamics of how that relationship looks. It's complicated, that is for sure. I always think of divorced men having the capacity to learn from a traumatic event. And so anybody who's experienced loss in their life, that loss can look like anything. When you've experienced loss and you, I'm going to say in air quotes, like properly heal from it, like you really go deep with the healing and take the lessons it gives you and really confront the the depths of the emotional wounds it takes you to, that galvanizes a new earned lived wisdom. And I think if somebody's coming through that process in the context of marriage and divorce, that's so sexy. Like men are, are going through that, feeling the loss and galvanizing and learning from it. It can, it certainly has the potential to make them a better partner the second time around versus looking at it as a plan B, but really reframing it as my first marriage was many things. And one of the things it was, was preparation to receive my next partner. 
Amen to that. And I think it's beneficial and even necessary for a single woman who is now interested in dating a married man with children to ask about the previous marriage. Mm -hmm. A lot of men don't want to talk about it, but sometimes not only do they need to talk about it to get healing, but she needs to understand what happened. Mm -hmm. And again, if there's a pattern of things going on in his life or the family life, that's just not making sense or... uh, I think it, it can be over time, not initially, obviously, but over time, if that relationship's developing, that needs to be understood. I would just caution not too early as someone who went on a lot of dates with a lot of divorced men. If the first date is peppered every five minutes with talk about the ex, yes. that's going to be yeah, a red flag. I'm, yes. I'm thinking to myself, he has not healed. No. And yeah, and, and maybe he's trying to convince, even if, with the best of intentions, I want you to understand it was a mess and I wasn't a bad guy and yes. I'm fully ready to love. That energy is... Yeah, it's pure in its intention. But from someone who's been in that position, I'm like, uh, check, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can tell you can tell when somebody is divorced, but still in a in a relationship. Right. And, and again, if there are kids involved, you always have a relationship to one another. But I, in my own experience, I feel like you can tell almost immediately the degree of what that relationship really and <laughs> truly is post-divorce. Yeah. My biggest I'd rather have the guy talk about it too much than not be willing to talk at all. Hmm. And close you off there, go, no, it's in my past, forget about mm-hmm. it. That bothers me more than someone oversharing because mm-hmm. they're nervous. And mm-hmm. But I think both sides are important and yeah, need no. some caution and understanding. Yeah, you make a good point. Yeah. Elliot, you mentioned about, again, we were coming at it from the single woman dating a divorced guy. If he hasn't healed, he may project some of the energy and the dynamics from the, the marriage that didn't make it onto his new partner. What would that look like? Some examples maybe or some tangible projection? Because I think, again, as we move now to talk about some of the healing, what healing needs to, I, I don't like that because it, it sounds so prescriptive, but what would you ideally love to see the healing that could occur with him so that he wouldn't do the projecting that we're speaking to? So that's, again, why you need some of the context of what happened the first time. Eventually, you need to understand that so you know if there's projection or displacement going on. But Often a guy, if he was with what he considered a controlling woman, which I see a lot in men who are divorced, and even if he ended up having the affair or separated or whatever the reason was, or whoever made the the choice, or at least the, the first stages, if he's now projecting control onto you all the time, you're so controlling, you're always wanting this, and she's like, I just wanted to have a date Friday night, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not asking for anything else, right. and you always want me to be against my kids, I'm like, no, I don't, I just want to have time with you guys, and if there's a family event and I'm allowed to be there, I'd like to participate in some capacity. And I understand there's limitations. So it's that kind of thing where they're projecting some pains from the past very specifically. And when they don't make sense, they don't line up. Then you can say that divorce wound is really mm-hmm. entering into this qu- equation very consciously, mm-hmm. even if he's subconscious about that choice. And so part of the healing thing to me is if we're able to consciously recognize and understand, oh, I'm projecting here or I'm still in the context outside the children now. I'm still in the context of thinking about what's my ex going to think about this. Mm. That oneness that is supposed to be there appropriately when you're married and still bonded together. Mm-hmm. If that's still carrying on in five, seven, eight years from now, you're still making decisions based on what your ex would think or how they will feel or how they will respond. That's an indication that the healing's not quite complete. And sometimes it's never fully complete, but if you're still making choices based mainly on that, not on your new life, your new relationship, your new family, that's one of those signs of the healing's just not there. I'm just letting that sink in for a minute. (laughs) There there are many, many threads to this tapestry we're weaving right now. 
Yeah. And the children piece almost makes that impossible at times. So that's why you got to look at the children piece versus the dating piece. Am I making a choice about my children simply based on the response my ex makes complete sense and might even be appropriately necessary compared to I don't want to date this particular guy because my in-laws, my ex-in-laws or my ex might think something differently about this. That, that would be that separation with the children piece. Mm-hmm. Or I do want to date this guy because they would hate it. Yeah. And so now I'm in an adolescent <laughs> reactive mode. Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, I'm going through like this visual of online dating profiles in my head mm-hmm. right now. And it's so funny to categorize them because people often tell you so much more than what they intend to tell you, even in you know 500 characters or less. So when I see profiles of like, my kids will always come first. It's like to the left, because that's such mm-hmm. a, like, that's a, that's a good old swipe left. You can tell so much about what the context of that dynamic is. If, you know, sentence one is declaring my children will always come. Like, of course they're going to come first. They're your children. It's like, if they weren't going to come first, I couldn't be in partnership with you. Right. Mm-hmm. And when, and when people particularly out of a divorce say something to the effect of like, where do you fall on the crazy slash hot matrix or mm-hmm. looking to date somebody who isn't a liar and a cheater? It's like people <laughs> reveal so much to you without even having to ask sometimes. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's like that, you know how people do on social media, at least they'll be like, tell me you're this without <laughs> telling me you're that. <laughs> You're like, tell me you're a divorce guy who's so not over his ex without telling me you're a divorce guy who's so not the divorce over. wound without telling me you're in the divorce wound. There you go. Oh yeah. my gosh. I could write a whole book about that. That's so funny. Yeah. And I think all the way back to our first foundational elements of normalizing this understanding of the divorce wound would help all people in the context of dating yes. a divorcee or being involved in a relationship with a divorcee or both being divorced so much healthier and more out in the open. It's so great connecting with all of you via the podcast, and I would love to meet you IRL. If your organization is looking for a speaker for your next event, check out my website, go to the speaking page, and see the content that I love to talk about. Just like on the podcast, in my speeches, I cover a wide array of topics grounded in psych research, of course. I'd love to meet you and share strategies for thriving in all realms of love and life with you and your organization. I cannot recommend Dr. Karen enough as your speaker at your event. As my keynote speaker, she completely set the tone of compassion, self-love, and authenticity that bled into everything we did for the rest of the event. She was incredibly prepared and present and went above and beyond when it came to sharing the event with her audience. Her knowledge, magnetic energy, and expertise while on stage is one thing. It will be everything you'd hope for and more for your audience. But her giving spirit and willingness to do more than simply show up when it's time to go on is icing on the cake. She walks her talk, and by the end of working with her, I was wishing she lived down the block from me for weekly meetups. For more information and to book me to speak at your next event, contact my producer, Tim May, Tim at loveandlifemedia.com. Karen, at the very beginning of this conversation, two words that you said really stood out, and I'm wondering if we can explore them, restoration and redemption. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to explore that. What 
do you, and least from your personal experience and some of the approaches that you bring to your work with the women you work with and men? And Elliot, how about the couples? When you think about trying to provide space and a context where that restoration and redemption can happen, what does that look like? One area I'll start is sometimes restoration, which in its biblical context means restoring to the right relationship with God and right Mm. relationship with others. Sometimes that restoration means divorce. And so that can be difficult. And when there's people coming into my office that are Christian, understand I'm a pastor and a therapist, they can be bothered when I'm recommending to them, this is not healthy. This is toxic. You are being shamed, blamed, abused, and so are your children. You need to get out and even show them biblical context on why that's true. They often at times feel then they can't be restored in some capacity. Hmm. So that's the first piece that came to mind, which doesn't happen that often, but it's happened more than I'd wanted to. But sometimes the restoration of a marriage that's going to heal, and whether that heals from an affair or an addiction or something pretty powerful, recognizing that restoration does not mean a return to what was. Mm-hmm that it's often returned to something that's new. And that's, again, a biblical context and the prophets talking all the time about Israel being restored. But that didn't mean going back to the start. It meant to the newness and the understanding, Mm -hmm. the fullness of what the gospel of Christ would be. And so I think restoration at times is healing, is grace, is growth, is recognizing fully this divorce wound and not being shamed about it Mm -hmm. and saying, how can I live great, embrace great, love great, and heal great, and even have another wonderful opportunity in marriage while still having that. Mm -hmm. Often in ministry, our greatest gifts come out of our greatest pain. Our greatest ministries come out of our greatest pain. Uh, Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 in particular talks about comforting others with the the love that God comforted us with. And that Mm -hmm. often for a counselor means we're dealing with people wrestling with the things that we have dealt with. Mm -hmm. And so I think that restoration piece, that redemption piece about I am redeemed, I can come back to the fullness of who I am, even with this father wound, even with this mother wound, even with this divorce wound, even my ex living two weeks uh, or two blocks away from me and infiltrating every space in my life, I can still have newness, foundational healing, foundational growth and movement. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> and it, that it's that notion of or tendency towards fullness and wholeness. And that sense that uh, restoring to what is maybe is what was, we just didn't know what it was. This like Mm. foundational self that we may never have known. Divorce is a tremendous catalyst towards coming home to your truest self. And that restoration to me sounds so nurturing. It's time and grace and compassion to really restore and regenerate and the redemption piece to truly truly find this full acceptance. And that, again, that, that sense of wholeness in spite of like, in spite of fill in the blanks, right. Coming to wholeness in spite of anything that's happened. I think that allows you to be in a radical space of true acceptance. And I think to me, that means peace that you're really coming home to who you are in this deep sense of acceptance and inner peace. And I think, least you and Karen do a great job of this on your podcasts. It does start individually. Mm-hmm. Even if you're healing from a couple wound or a family wound that is multi-layered, and anytime you have a divorce with children, it's multi-layered, but it does start, restoration redemption starts personally and individually. Mm-hmm. And that allows you then to help your children 
find restoration yes. redemption and your new marriage or new opportunities to find restoration redemption. And I think it's a very special process, insanely difficult, but so rewarding, even in the midst of the pain and sadness. It doesn't mean as you're getting restoration redemption, you don't still have great grieving, great loss, and maybe a re recommitment even to the tears and the weeping and the sadness. And I think that's what happened, least when you responded to our father wound yes. podcast, it just like hits you over. You're like, holy cow, I thought I was done. And then, I was walking boom. by the lake and clearly was not done. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we don't know we're not done and we need that. We need that poke or that prod or that movement. We would call it the spirit's provocation in our life, the Holy Spirit to, to say, hey, I still want this healed. I still want this whole. So you can bring that to others. That's mm -hmm. part of the whole Christian life is to bring that to others. And often that takes great suffering and pain. And you too, you and Karen and your podcast, your ministries are fantastic in that realm, giving these lady and, and some men that mm -hmm. space to understand that need for self-love and self-acceptance and empowerment and strength, even in the midst of the weakness and, and loss. There is a particular crop and I don't know what it is, but I, I know that this exists where you the, the farmer actually needs to set fire to the crop mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. you can renew the soil. And as you were speaking to that, that's the only visual I have is like, all right, we got to burn this up so that we can now regenerate that soil and make it so welcoming for what is coming next to be planted in there. The refiner's fire is yes. our spiritual term for that. At least in Romans five talks about refining the same process that happens with metal to yes. prepare it is what has to happen to us in our soul and our heart and our mind, especially when we've had the divorce wound. If someone is listening and going, okay, this is me, but I don't know at, at what stage, am I in the fire? Or like Lisa, like you shared, and I think we've all had that experience. Grief is secular, yes. or circular, yes. uh, cyclical. That's what I want to say. All of them are true. <laughs> all three, check all three. <laughs> it's not linear is maybe how I should have put it, right? We would love it to be, I hit this stage. And even the Kubler-Ross, yes. it's called stages of grief, but the understanding, and even from the Kubler-Ross folks themselves, they never meant it to be presented as, check, I hit right. that stage, done mm -hmm. and done. So for someone who's going, where am I in this? And can I approach a relationship with health mm -hmm. if I'm still in the midst of my healing? And some might say, well, I'm going to be 95 before I'm fully, <laughs> or I thought it was healthy. Like you're saying, Lisa, we, we go, oh crap, that hit me in another way. I thought I'd grieved it and I had in this realm, but then it kind of blindsided me coming in a different way. So for example, to concretize this, maybe you had grieved this portion. I'm not saying yes. you least, but the universal you, yes. and then you have a child who's 16 and say, that's the age that the divorce happened yes. for your family of origin. And now the child is 16 and you're like, oh my gosh. And you're, so you revisit mm -hmm. the grief in a new way. How do we encourage someone to say, yes, you can pursue love, mm -hmm. even knowing that you are wounded. We all mm -hmm. are. And is the work we do, we know we're wounded healers as we've yes. been speaking to. Mm -hmm. And that may actually afford us a vantage point that is clear and powerful because we've walked that road. How can they be mindful of their own woundedness and not let that overwhelm them or cause that to project onto their current relationships, something that really doesn't belong to that relationship? It's a mm -hmm. ghost from the past, while at the same time feeling that confidence because we've basically been saying, mm -hmm. you don't know, you could be thinking you're fine and boom, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> and that's not what we're saying, but I just to, to sum it up and to be silly, that's, that's kind of how someone might take this. For me, that's two things. 
One is that there's a reframe to look at that as actually a positive thing. I've witnessed this. I've lived this. I probably still live this to an extent. That feeling of, are we there yet? Like, how how long is the feeling going to go? Like, how long have we been driving this thing? (laughs) But I feel like that, the reframe there is, if you look at yourself as not one whole self, but comprised of many, 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 many selves, it seems to me that it's actually a really great sign that you've healed one aspect of yourself and that's made it safe enough to go deeper Mm. for another version Mm -hmm. of yourself to also heal. So it's like, I think that's part of the self-awareness process and this, you know, coming home to who you truly are is that awareness of, oh, interesting. Not looking at it as like, oh my God, I'm still broken. I'm still wounded. But versus, oh, interesting. What feedback is this giving me? Like what part still needs this Mm. attention and this healing and this nurturing um, that I can now give that part of myself a different level of healing. And the second thing is that we talked about very recently (laughs) blowing up and again, normalizing this idea you don't have to be 100% healed and whole before entering into partnership. There's so much rhetoric in the dating space of like, well, all you do is love yourself first, check that box, then you're good to go for, no, it doesn't work like that. How many people do you know who are like truly 100% healed and whole so that they can enter into partnership? Right. We're, We're constantly teaching and learning. So if there's a part of us that yes, in our very human experience remains unhealed or yet to be healed, I really think there's an argument to be made that who knows who your next teacher is that's going to help you with that process, not not delegating that as a responsibility to a partner, but really to help each other learn and grow and heal from the past in a really healthy way. You don't have to do it all yourself first so that you can be in this in this partnership. Amen. Great stuff, Lise. I think for all of our healing Mm-hmm. is it's a journey, not a result. So to not constantly think, well, if I just can get that done, then I'm totally healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and recognizing that it's part of our movement, it's actually a blessing, just like the Lord allowed me to speak a new piece of healing into your life, Lise, mm-hmm. and that developed this relationship we have and this context and all the other things. To see that all as blessing, not as curse, oh man, I don't want to go through that again. Uh, and, and then recognizing I've been married for 32 years and our marriage today is much different than it was in year one or year seven, year 11, year 15, 25, whatever it is. And not to see that as bad, but see that as growth and development, even though a lot of that came through pain. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that sometimes outside of the contextual intimate relationships and then somehow not want that to be true in intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get promotions at work and all of a sudden people treat us differently and all those kind of other things happen in life. Well, the same thing is true in a marriage or divorce scenario and, and recognizing that redemption restoration mm-hmm. spiritually, I can't help but put my pastor hat on again. We think of spiritual formation sometimes as a equation. Mm-hmm. Well, if I read the Bible like this and pray like this, then I'm healthy and more Christ-like. And, and that's not the process at all. It's forming our entire life and values around understanding of who Jesus is, his death on the cross, the sacrifice for our sins and his resurrection to give us freedom and victory forever. And to live within that on the journey not say, thank you, Jesus. It's over now. I'll do what I want. <laughs> and that's just not the whole point of our faith. But Peter says something in his letter that's impossible. He says, be holy because Christ is holy. Mm-hmm. And we know we can't be fully holy, but we still go after that. It's that whole process. We want to be healed. We want to grow. We want to be strong. And one of the things I ask my clients all the time is, what does your intuition tell you? Mm-hmm. 
If you're having, I just happened to one of your clients, Karen, that signed up counseling, her intuition was clearly telling herself, this is not right. Something's up. And all I had to do was bless it for her to say, trust that hundred percent trust that and go forward. And she did. And oh my goodness, thank you. No, I didn't do anything. I just told you to to trust yourself. I just affirm. She just needed that affirmation. And so we should never do any of this alone. Yeah. Right. In scripture against the body of Christ. It's the family of God. It's all of us together and us, this two podcasters and a professor. We do, (laughs) you know, we do this together to bring better strength and better power, better healing, better growth. And so especially men try to do this lone ranger healing stuff. And very early on, I'm busting that up and saying, no, I want you to talk to these three guys, go to this ministry, be involved in this AA group. Mm-hmm. And otherwise I'm not working with you. I'm not going to be your like lone right. guy now. And now you're going to put all this pressure on me. So it's <laughs> bring it out into the, the body. I'm sorry. I'm starting to get preachy. No, I was, I was just laughing because it is, it's exactly. I mean, you clarified right there what people don't understand. They think, oh, you go to a counselor or your coach, you get advice. And that's yeah. no. And in fact, if you're going to that counselor or coach and getting advice, please don't <laughs> because that person is not the person they're, they're supposed to help you hold up a mirror to show you who you are, what you want, what your values are, and then to confirm and validate that intuition that I believe is God given. And there's so much science around intuition that's coming out. Advising is different than advice. Yes. Yeah. I do have tons of experience and I do tell clients specifically, this is something you should consider. Yes. But it's not advice like you just give them a self-help book and say, thanks for coming. Yeah, yeah no. And for sure. I mean, all the mindset work that Lee does and all my CBT stuff, mm-hmm. I do advise as far as what the research shows exactly. is a healthy yeah. mindset that will align with your values that you've expressed to me and will help you get the goals and the dreams and the desires mm-hmm. and the hopes that you want. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, there is no, that. no, that that's good. That's yeah. good. That, yeah. well, I mean, now we're getting, yeah, go ahead. I please. was going to say, and women do that too. It's not just men who do the Lone Ranger thing. And it's really mm. interesting because in my own practice, I find really strong, really independent, really capable, really high achieving, really successful women feel like they can't ask for help, but they have to mm-hmm. do it alone because to ask or invite in help starts to chip away at the story of, but I'm so strong and capable, like, look what I can do. They perceive it as their own weakness or their own imperfection or flaw that they can't ask for help. And really, we know if we're all just running this long marathon, sometimes you need you need to have somebody pass you the baton or help pull you forward to get to the next part of who you really are. And that's not a flaw. That's an incredible strength. And I, I'm always just hoping that people can align with a coach, counselor, who, because there's some folks out there who are not to be trusted. And I hate to say that. It's not like, I'm not trying to bash anyone, but please get a referral from somebody you trust because this is deep, deep work. If, mm-hmm. if there's nothing else that we've talked about today, we've talked about how profound, how impactful mm-hmm. this type of healing is for every realm of our life. It's pervasive. Mm-hmm. There's damage that has been done. Yeah. There, there's harm that is done in a therapeutic relationship if it's not a person who's grounded. And there are people out there who are professionals who are healing themselves through their clients or worse, abusing clients. And it does happen, not to be hyperbolic, but it does. On that pleasant note. <laughs> well, I, you know my attention span. I lost you halfway through. It was very good. I just watched your facial expression. Oh, yeah. I, it needed to be. I was, I was uh, long-winded. I was thinking of something in particular that Karen and I were talking earlier, Lise, before you got on about getting our speaking tours going. And I just found a profound moment from the Lord telling me, you and Karen and Lise need to go speak about this divorce wound mm. in some communities. Would love and, that. and we need to get this going. I've already felt that with the father wound, mother wound stuff as well. But 
all three of those areas, just the woundedness in general. And really, we could add a whole nother episode on the pandemic wound. I know. And what that has done for sense of community and understanding and, and restoration and fear. And mm-hmm. anyway, I just want to throw that out. We don't have to have it on the podcast. I was just talking out loud yeah. uh, to all of us in that regard about that possibility. No, put it out there. You had a prompting and mm-hmm. let's do this. Lise Elliott, I want to thank you so much for sharing your heart and your journeys with us today. Anything else, any parting words or where can people find you if they would like to work with you? Lise, let people know uh, your info so that they can follow along if they haven't already. Sure. Thank you so much for having me because again, the more we bear witness to these experiences, the more we normalize the emotional health and the conversations that go along with it. And everybody wins. Like everybody wins from that. Um, So I speak a lot to that on my own page, my own community, but it's leasewilcox.com or on Instagram at leasewilcox, L-E-I-S-S-E-W-I-L-C-O-X. And what Canadian city are we doing our first speaking gig in? Lise? Oh, definitely Toronto. But if we can get to Montreal, we should go to Montreal because it's the coolest city in Canada. <laughs> do we have to speak French? Karen knows French. I do know. <laughs> it's bilingual um, and we could get away with speaking English. But I was once mistaken for a local Montrealer in the winter and I never got over it. Like it upped my, my cool factor. <laughs> <laughs> And Karen, where can people find me? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember exactly what all the labels are. You're at Pastor Elliot Anderson, two L's and two T's on Instagram. We're trying to up his Instagram game. So yeah. And you can find him to work with him on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. So yeah, so that's where you can find Elliot and there will soon be uh, some more speaking options if you want to book him or the three of us or me and... Yes, and I want to I want to thank our Canadian sister for being <laughs> on this with the Andersons. Uh, it takes a special individual, Lise, to jump in here with these two high-octane uh, presenters and sharers. And so it feels so natural and, and so easy. It, it feels of the Lord to me in a, a spiritual way. Uh, it did right away when we first had our conversation and it feels like it's continuing to grow in that manner. So I really appreciate you and your honesty, your openness, your healing, your ministry of what you're doing uh, in Canada and beyond is absolutely fantastic. It's, it's very cool. Thank you. All right. Let me pray for the, the listeners. Heavenly Father, we know this topic of divorce, Lord, grieves you also. And the divorce wound, Lord, is powerful and impactful and it, it passes down to generations And so, Lord, we do pray for restoration and redemption and healing and growth and understanding. And if any of the listeners have been prodded or poked or gained new insight or understanding and new healing, new grieving, would you walk alongside them in this journey and and bring others into their life for um, joining and support and encouragement and belonging? Lord, we need to normalize this wound so we understand and recognize its influence Lord, give those who are in the process of restarting their family, restarting their dating relationships or possible marriage after divorce to find that measure of grace along the journey, to not be uh, fearful of stepping forward, but to also pay attention to their instincts and their understanding of what they need and what is right. So we pray you would bless this podcast and bless those who listen and all the future work we do in your name and for your glory. Amen. The love and life hack for this week is restoration, redemption. These aren't destinations. They are part of the healing journey. 
As always, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and for being part of the Love and Life family. To connect further, please head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com. You can sign up for my newsletter and get your own free empowered dating playbook. It's grounded in psych research and strategies from cognitive therapy. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.